0: Support for You Bet Your Garden comes from Lehigh Valley Home and Garden Center. Everything for outdoor living. Locally grown flowers and trees, plus a 7,500 square foot showroom of patio furniture. Lehigh Valley Home and Garden Center in Allentown. More at 610-391-1570. From the snaggy studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it's time for another avian episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. Why should the bottom eight to 10 feet of dead trees be left standing? I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's You Bet Your Garden, I'll spin a story that's sure to make you a fan of snagging. Plus, a new book demands that you fall in love with teeny tiny plants, and your teeny tiny phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and intensely incommodious inculcations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, cats and kittens, because you're about to learn how to adorn your tiny home with tiny plants right after this. Support comes from Hot Bin Composters, designed to reduce waste and create compost within 30 to 90 days. More information at hotbincomposting-us.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in this show, I'm going to tell you a true story about something that happened to me just last month that reinforces my love of snags, which are dead trees left standing. But first, can we take a shot of Ducky? Because we wanna congratulate him. He got both vaccines and he is three or four weeks out. And so Ducky is finally freed from the constraints of his mask, all right? so. Fabulous phone calls at eight 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 four nine two ninety-four forty-four. Kim, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Kim. How you doing?
1: I'm doing well. Yeah, I'm excited to be here.
0: Okay. I'm excited to have you here. Um, where is Kim?
1: I live in Salem County, New Jersey.
0: Okay. Lots
1: of beautiful farm lands, and my backyard is where I'm hoping you can help us.
0: Okay, good.
1: I have a sunset Eskimo maple, which is a beautiful tree with these gorgeous leaves, very unique, Mm -hmm. and I have a big backyard that was lacking shade, so... Uh, We bought a couple different trees a few years back, Mm -hmm. and this one is just struggling year after year. So, you know, we've tried a couple different things to encourage it, um, fertilizing, spraying for bugs.
0: i got to stop you there. Um, Okay. This is not about you personally, but we get this all the time. Don't spray anything organic or chemical for bugs unless you see bugs. You know, or holes in the leaves or some sign that that's what's going on. You don't want to overload the tree with stresses. And what kind of fertilizer did you use?
1: I'm not even sure. Uh It was a couple years back, so I'm sure I would have gotten something for a maple. Um, But that was probably three or four years ago, so I'm not even sure what I used.
0: Um, Okay. Did you do anything else to this poor tree?
1: (laughs) That's it. And I didn't do all those things. Well, I did one more thing.
0: Oh, come <laughs> on. Fess up. I didn't
1: up. do all these things in, yeah, I didn't do them all in one year. The most recent thing I did was give it a healthy pruning. It did have a lot of dead limbs. Oh, um, really? and it's come back beautifully. Yeah, it, it has come back beautifully, but it always starts out beautiful in the spring.
0: What it's did you?
1: mid-summer where it just looks like a twig. Yeah, in the middle I'm not of the surprised.
0: Um, what did you spray it with? Do you remember? Be honest. No, Yeah. No. Oh, come on. Come on. My father was a homicide I detective. I detect <laughs> guilt in your voice.
1: It probably would have been something that we just had. Oh, I mean, I, I'm not an
0: expert. The worst thing you can do in gardening is I always go, why'd you do that? Well, we had it.
1: Actually, now that we're talking, I do remember I went to the tractor supply store, the local you know, Yeah, I know the area, place. And I read. But, but I, I obviously, I don't know enough to know to get the right specific um, product. So, you know, I did my best with what was on the packaging, but I think that's okay, as far so as you, I can say. Okay, so
0: we can assume you sprayed it with a chemical insecticide. Um, which, yes. You know, first of all, you never need to use chemicals, but an insecticide of any kind is pretty much only when you can definitively see insects or insect damage. Don't just throw the kitchen sink at this poor tree. Okay. Now, what are the other trees you planted at the same time?
1: Um, We have an oak and some other kind of tree that the landscaper brought. It's supposed to be good for shade. Um, Gosh, now you're really seeing all my true colors here.
0: Oh, man. I picked
1: the Eskimo maple because it was pretty.
0: And did did uh, did this outside person plant them all?
1: No, we actually bought the Eskimo maple first. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had bought that the year prior, and then the landscaper brought the other two.
0: Okay. So,
1: you know, the, the Eskimo maple was our attempt at giving shape.
0: So you planted the tree?
1: We did. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Was it in a pot, or was it bald and burlapped?
1: I think it was in a pot.
0: Okay. So you took it out of the pot, you put it in the ground, And uh, were you careful not to bury it too deep, or is it possible that a lot of the trunk is underground and being attacked by underground creatures and rotting from lack of dryness?
1: Well, um, I think you know it was at, at most six inches from the the you know the top of the ball underneath the surface. Okay, I noticed as i was you know really inspecting the tree just over the past week or so past couple of weeks that at the base of the trunk mm-hmm. there does appear to be a wound i would say yeah um so i don't know if that gives you any clues
0: oh yeah it's rot trees have to be planted high this is something not a lot of people know but i've been stressing it for 25 30 years Um, Any part of the trunk that's buried underground or covered by mulch is never going to dry out. Insects and voles are going to use that as an opportunity to eat, especially tender, young bark, which is the tastiest. Did you also mulch it?
1: No, it is not mulched.
0: Really? Okay, that's one good thing. Do you think it's possible that you can go out there? How big is the tree now? How tall?
1: Probably about six feet tall. Okay, and, yeah, that's, I can go out there.
0: Yeah. What I would suggest, you got you got two options here. You can, uh, using a trowel or a hoe with a fairly small head, like one of the winged weeder tra- uh, hoes, uh, get as much of the dirt away from the trunk as possible and move it as— The whole
1: f- trunk or, or just that wound area?
0: Oh, no, the whole trunk. Okay. You know, anything that is underground that's not a root system is going to rot. So, uh, you know, prepare yourself. You may see something horrifying when you um, get underground. But using a hoe and or a trowel, uh, gently try to get the dirt away from the trunk until you at least see the top of the root system. That's the rule. The, okay. um that muscular part where the tree meets the roots should always be above ground. That the, it needs to breathe, honestly. So that's what I would well, do. Well, there is
1: grass around it. Do you think that could be
0: even choking worse.
1: it? And we have this crazy weed that you know that oh gosh, it goes really long. It's all through our grass. Um,
0: all right, all right. Sure that's, that's kind of a separate. Enough, that's kind of a separate issue. But pull up the grass all around. Um, the okay. tree, um, I'm doing my unearth the root crown, and try to keep it open. This is the perfect time because it's been really dry, and that may dry out the portion of the trunk underground. Your other option is to lift the tree out of the ground and plant it much higher. Sounds like a foot higher. Um,
1: Oh really? Yeah,
0: uh, you made a rookie so mistake. So how
1: high would you say that we should be?
0: The top of the root system when we plant it. The top of the root system should be above ground.
1: Okay. Okay. Boy, I wouldn't have thought that.
0: Well, yeah. um, you can always look this stuff up before you do it. Just go to our website. <laughs>
1: You're right. <laughs> there are
0: many articles on how to plant a tree and how to take care of a lawn, which you should just read independently. <laughs> All right. Listen, we're running late today, so I really gotta kick you off, but good luck, okay?
1: Okay. Thanks for your help.
0: Oh, uh, my pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: Okay, bye-bye. Two little box little box little box and a box and a box and a box. Two little box in a box and a box and a box and a box
2: and a box. Two little box and a 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 box.
3: One little bug, <laughs> little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug. One little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug. One little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug. One little bug,
0: little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug. Justin, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. How are you? I am just Ducky, thank you for asking, Justin. Ducky is very happy to be mask-free now that he's all vaccinated and stuff. Um, How is Justin? I'm doing well, and I'm in Abington, Pennsylvania. Okay, very good. I know the Abington area really well. Where is it? 309 crosses 611? I don't know. I just keep looking for landmarks. What can we do for Justin (laughs) in Abington?
3: So on one side of my backyard, I share a fence with a neighbor. It's a chain link fence and lining the fence for privacy are these beautiful um, nice and tall, gives mm-hmm. great privacy. But my dog, <laughs> while, while my neighbor's outside, he's constantly gardening. He's always out there. Um, right. Great guy. And she likes to go between the arborvitae and just bark at him nonstop, which he says he doesn't mind, but it annoys me and, Right. I'm sure it annoys him. So I was wondering if there's any suggestions you have of anything I could grow along the fence, any sort of ivy or anything that would not affect the arborvitae. Ah, so now the show is
0: uh, You Bet Your Vet, right? Um, <laughs> what kind of dog is it? Uh, she's an American Staffordshire Terrier. Oh, a terrier. Man, they are natural barkers. And when you know, when they see <laughs> movement, they acknowledge it um do you are are you asking if you can grow something in front of your orbovite um that would block her view of the backyard gardener next door
3: yes yeah, so so it would be between them and the fence because they're they're kind of right up against the fence, but I don't want to do anything that might try to grow into them and choke them out or hurt them at all right, and uh, you got a lot of room um Not a whole lot between there. Okay. um, I have a little bit more room in some parts of the fence, but not along the whole fence line. Okay. Well, is she just going to run down to open fence? She might, unless (laughs) I did the whole fence. Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah, the reason I asked what kind of dog is I used to have, I was a rescue home for Great Pyrenees, and they love to bark. You know, some dogs can be trained Mm -hmm. not to bark, but other dogs, it's in their DNA. And that's a very active dog, too. So, yeah, the first thing I'm going to suggest be well, he's not out gardening in the winter, right? No, so you theoretically could have um, a perennial that sheds its leaves in the winter, but is around um, the leaves out fairly early in the season um, and covers that area. Otherwise, your only choice, I think, would be um, a row of snow-white evergreens, um, evergreens that grow a certain height and don't get any taller. And if you space these in the spaces in between your arborvitae, um, you would take care of that area. But you'd have to leave... all. I'm saying two feet, nah, one foot, that's a small dog. One foot, so you don't overshade the arbor vitae. Otherwise, I would say go to your local independent garden center. For God's sake, not a big box store. Uh, the local garden center. <laughs> oh, you know, I have a great one nearby. Exactly, and they're as important to preserve as family farms. So, mm-hmm. see, what do you have uh, in a perennial that sheds its leaves in the winter, but also leaves out early and holds them the longest. That may be a surprisingly long list, otherwise, uh, you get these kind of dwarf cypress or you know something like that, um, spruce that's meant to not get not get taller than four or five feet, and then you stagger them in front of the other. I mean, it would almost look deliberate, <laughs> okay. Um, another option that I hesitate to mention, because I I seem to almost fall back on it every show, is ornamental grasses. Not only would they provide uh, the screening effect all year long, um, many varieties have leaves that are surprisingly sharp. So it it's not like they're going to shred your poor dog. But you know, once she touches one of them, she's not going to go back there. Huh. They're really good plants. They are underutilized. Uh, They lose their green in the winter, uh, but they don't shed anything. So, you know, you can either let them fill out year after year or prune them in the spring, Uh, but they are an underutilized plant in the landscape that I think would probably, maybe, be the best at your needs here. Okay. All
3: right? Yeah, well, thank thank you so much for all the advice. Um, Definitely a lot of things to look into.
0: Yes, and thank you for supporting your local independent garden center. They don't do anything to support the show, and they don't have to. They are very special places. All right. All right. Take care, Justin. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break, and... Eh, explain my recent bizarro comment about the endless hot and dry weather we were experiencing, a comment that unfortunately aired shortly after many of us received six to eight inches of rain in three days. Why was this? We have to tape these shows a week to ten days in advance so that we can get everything out to our affiliate stations and podcast presenters and I should know not to talk about the weather. However, I am a dummy. But don't go turning that sprinkler off just yet, because we'll be right back with Tiny Plants, The Importance of Snags, and more of your snaggy phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we are going to try to get you to understand the importance of leaving snags, dead trees, on your property with a true story that truly happened to me very recently in my own snag-filled landscape. And we'll take more of your fabulous phone calls, but right now, it's uh, time to introduce the author of Tiny Plants, Leslie Halleck. Oh, God, I love this book. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
2: Hi, thanks for having me on. I'm so happy to hear you love teeny tiny plants.
0: I don't know that i love loved them before, <laughs> uh, but I look at your book and I think of how much of our audience is going to drool when they see some of these pictures and other things that are happening. It is just amazing. Thank
2: you. That's a that's a lovely compliment. I appreciate
0: it. Good. And I love for people to compliment me. It only happens here in the studio. I'm going to play my Terry Gross hand right away, and I want you to read the first three paragraphs. Uh, it just sets the stage so perfectly.
2: It's the origin story, if you will, of why I wrote this book, which is really a passion project for me. So I, I gave you a little background and, and, and a little uh, a little of my origin of my love of tiny plants. So if I could trace my fascination with tiny plants back to a single moment, it would be my first in-person encounter with a Lilliputian orchid blooming in its native habitat. After college graduation, I headed for an internship in Puerto Rico with the Lucio Long-Term Ecological Research Program. Embedded in the El Yunque National Rainforest, I assisted with research on the effects of Hurricane Hugo, which defoliated the entire rainforest in 1989. One day, while collecting data in a plot that included some large boulders, my I caught the tiniest speck of pinkish red. As I approached, I realized with budding excitement that I had found a population of incredibly tiny orchids. They were Lepanthes ripestrous, lithophytic micro-orchids only found in the Liqueo Mountains of Puerto Rico. The flowers, only a few millimeters in size, rested directly on top of the tiny one-inch leaves. I recall jumping up and down, as I am prone to do when I discover cool plants and critters in their natural habitats. From that moment, I was hooked on all things tiny. In addition to my formal research duties, I spent time in the next few months hunting down and studying all the tiny orchids and ferns I could find. In my subsequent travels to the deep Amazon and Ecuadorian rainforests, as well as sky-high volcanoes, my eyes always sought out the tiniest botanical inhabitants. Several years after that first encounter, I started building vivariums and keeping species of poison dart frogs and other herps. These small but intense living environments require specific plant species that are both small enough for the enclosure and appropriate for the animals. And once you start building vivariums for tiny animals, you inevitably take a deep dive into tiny plants.
0: Woo, that is a fabulous origin story that beats out being bitten by a radioactive spider by miles. <laughs> So
2: I, I did get bitten by a scorpion on that trip, if that counts.
0: <laughs> was it radioactive, though?
2: Um, I could only hope so, but I, I think not, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> yeah, if it was, you would gain the power of a stinging tail. I'm not sure if, exactly. that, if that's what you're looking for. <laughs> so several things strike me about this miniature orchid. It wasn't a baby. It wasn't going to get taller, right? And no. it sounds like... Against all odds, it was a pioneer plant in this environment. You know, after a, a, you know, the forest burns or a tidal wave washes everything away, there are plants that emerge first to start holding the soil, attracting bees, doing all that kind of stuff, and then the rest of the land uh, comes alive behind them. But it, they depended on those pioneer plants. I've never heard of an orchid being a pioneer plant.
2: Well, so evolution is an interesting process and plants and critters, find ways to adapt, they find strategies to adapt that work for them to enable their survival. And in my book, Tiny Plants, I actually do dive into a little bit of the evolution of of tiny plants. Okay. This book is not focused on artificially
0: miniaturized plants. God, and and you have a fuzzy picture of the actual orchids you discovered in your book. And uh, yeah, because you were probably being chased by some wild animal or something.
2: (laughs) It was in the days of film, you know, when we still had to carry cameras with film in them.
0: It's amazing. Um, Even finding the drugstore in the rainforest to get the film developed, that must have been difficult. (laughs) I do have to ask you, are the orchids still there in Puerto Rico?
2: Yes, they are still there. Uh, so if you are able eventually to travel back to Puerto Rico and, and support them with your, your tourism and you get the chance to, to trek in the rainforest there, then yes, you too can hunt down this tiny species of, of micro orchid. And you'll find when you dive into tiny plants, if you haven't already, that I have a particular penchant for micro orchids.
0: Orchids are, to the best of my knowledge, the largest, I think it would be, family in the plant world. There are more orchids that are individual than any other type of plant. So what percentage are these tiny orchids?
2: I think that the orchid uh, family makes up about 10 percent of all flowering plant species on the planet. I can't say that I have a number for what percentage the microspecies um, account for. And I would also say that probably because they're so tiny, um, they're not as easily discovered. So new microspecies are being discovered all the time. So I'm not quite sure I can give you, I'll have to do some research on that to mm-hmm. see if I can figure out what percentage are, are micro, you know, and by micro, we're talking down in that, you know, one to, to three inch range in, in, in mature size, right? Genetic mature size. So um, they're certainly not going to be as prevalent uh, as a lot of the standard orchids, phalaenopsis that you find on the market. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to hunt a little bit harder, but they're out there.
0: And that's exactly what I wanted to go to. And then you have to drag me away from orchids. Okay? (laughs) Can regular humans buy any of the micro orchids and how easy or difficult are they to care for in the home environment?
2: What I focus on in the book in tiny plants are some of the easier micro orchids to grow. Some can be very tricky. You know, mm-hmm. tiny plants can have specialized requirements, and many are high humidity plants. So you'll find as you go through the book that many of them I recommend keeping under glass in a Wardian case, in an orchidarium, or, or terrarium because they need that high humidity. Um, but there, there are some that are very easy to grow, and I give you recommendations for where to start if you're a beginner. Okay. So certainly there are going to be some that are easier, just like there are easier larger orchids. You know, Phalaenopsis are very mm-hmm. easy to grow for beginners. Uh, likewise, you're going to have some genera in the micro orchid realm that are going to be easier than others, too. and And you'll find a pretty good variety out in the marketplace. Again, some are going to be a little harder to find with a bigger price tag.
0: You have no idea how many people who live in apartments yes. and tiny houses are listening with all three ears. This is just amazing. I'm, but the fact that there's this corner of the flowering plant world, orchidarium, you just, yes. you after 24 years, you have introduced a new word. To the show.
2: I'm hoping I introduced a bunch of new botanical terms for you in Tiny Plants because that's what it's all about. The whole reason I wrote Tiny Plants is to introduce everybody. Anyone, whether they're a beginning gardener or an experienced grower that doesn't have a lot of space or time, wants to bring nature indoors, those apartment dwellers that you're talking about, you can collect hundreds of species of plants with a few square feet of space. Now, I like you, grow everything heavy duty outdoor gardener. I'm a vegetable garden, chicken keeper, rose grower, perennials, fruits, you name it. But I want green in every nook and cranny, indoors and out. And that's what tiny plants lets you do. And so the whole point is for you to discover species that you've never heard about foliage and blooming and an orchidarium like a terrarium oh, or that. a verbarium is a specialized controlled growing environment that mm-hmm. you can create or buy plug and play to house your mounted or potted micro orchids or any other tiny humidity loving plant species you know, in a way that maintains their air circulation and humidity. They're very cool.
0: You know, the book has, I think, hundreds of pictures of almost every type of plant in really pretty containers. Uh, But it just occurs to me that this follows the trend of fairy gardens, you know, where people will build these little fairy villages around the trunk of a tree or something like that. I mean, you drop in some of these plants and you know, you wanna shrink down and go live there for a while.
2: Well, yeah, and, and this is definitely not a, a fairy gardening or sort of outdoor miniature gardening book. This is definitely focused on the indoor grower and species collecting, right? So certainly learning about all of the plants that I showcase for you in the book, is gonna give you options uh, mm-hmm. for creating any sort of microsphere If you will whether you're building tiny indoor water gardens or terrariums or you just want to house potted specimens inside cool vessels which that's what i do i have a bit of a vintage glassware acquisition problem Uh uh, which you'll see reflected in the book and so i love to showcase individual species and you know if you only have a corner on your desk or a small space indoors you can still do some really cool things with contained Bitty, bitty tiny plants.
0: If somebody tells you how to care for them. Otherwise, right. office desks are the place where plants go to die. Um, yeah, I'm like you. Um, show me a thrift shop and I will go in and say, do you have any vases? Do you have any, you know, and I don't think I've ever gotten a vase or anything from any other type of place. Now, right. um, again, you've got hundreds of uh, photos that are miraculous they're beautiful of different types of plants so let's start with the easiest ones so many people call up and say they have a black thumb and I say well don't hit it with a hammer anymore but if somebody thinks they're bad at caring for plants what's your top list of bulletproof babies?
2: Well, first off, I don't believe in black thumbs. I think that uh, green thumbs are earned and learning about plants and how to take care of them requires killing a few of them. I mean, as a professional horticulturist, I assure you, I've I've killed more plants than most of your listeners ever will. You'll never catch up to me.
0: Can can I stop? Can I just interrupt you right (laughs) there? Because, kids, these are words of wisdom. It's not failure. It's more learning than being accidentally successful.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, plants are not static things. They're living organisms and everybody's environment is different. So um, one thing you'll find in the book in chapter two is I've written a very healthy care and maintenance and we can dive into that more if you have questions on how you care for tiny plants because sometimes the care is a little different than some of your larger standard house plants everybody likes to start with succulents, right? That's kind of where everybody starts because mm-hmm. in their minds, they're low maintenance, low water. The trick is that indoors we often don't quite have as much light quantity as succulents need to be happy. The cool thing about tiny succulents is that all you need is a little space on a bookshelf. A lot of the little tiny led grow lights that are out now um, are perfect for maintaining those kinds of collections. So if you're looking for, for easy places to start, turn to the tiny plants for your windowsill chapter mm-hmm. in, tiny plants. Those are going to be the lower maintenance, uh, lower water, lower humidity species. Um, I've got even got some cool ferns in there for you, which usually, you know, don't like the heat, low humidity indoors, but you know, succulents, um, Vietnamese violet. If, if you struggle with African violets and, and, you know, African violets can actually present a struggle for especially many beginner indoor gardeners. They're, they're very sensitive at the root zone. A lot of begonias, a lot of the gizneriads, right? They, mm-hmm. they need good aeration at the root zone. A lot of them are semi epiphytic, So they really don't want to be sitting in a lot of heavy potting mix. But I give you alternatives. And in each of the plants I feature, I give you a list of plants you can grow the same way. So beyond the plant I feature for you, I give you lots of other species that you can choose from. So check out the windowsill chapter. And those are going to be some of the easy, um, you know, creeping button fern is great. Um, Baseball plant um, succulent is great. There's a lot of really cool, easy places you can start with low maintenance.
0: And Um, you mention um, these grow lights, uh, LEDs, that are just every day uh, a new type appears. I Mm -hmm. raised my plant starts this year on what they call deformable LEDs. Um, They fold, uh, the panels fold down like solar panels on a spaceship. And the results were very good, but there's a picture in your book of a single lamp hanging down uh, with a tiny plant underneath it. And one thing I found um, over the winter, when I would start my plants really early, They were indoors at the time. Now we have cats, so they're out on the the insulated porch. But back then, everything was started indoors. And there is nothing better for your mental health than to have bright light during the day in January, in February. It really has an effect on you. No
2: kidding. I I did my master's degree up at Michigan State and in greenhouse production and artificial lighting and environmental controls. And I tell you, those grow lights got me through the long winters. Now, I do go into lighting techniques for tiny plants. Um, The great thing is that you can get away with using some of the lower wattage, singular spotlight, or the tiny LED bars that are, you know, under that 40 watt range. Um, Whereas with larger indoor plants, seed starting, you really have to pump up that light quantity. Yeah. And um, I don't know, I I did write a book on this, I'll, I'll pitch it, it's called Gardening Under Lights. If you ever wanna dig deep, oh, if you wanna supplement, yeah, if you wanna supplement, um, let's see, Gardening Under Lights. Okay. <laughs> so if you ever wanna supplement your knowledge there, you know, whether you're starting outdoor transplants or you're building a collection of indoor plants, be they tiny or big, um, I teach you how to do that. But I actually go into lighting techniques and recommend some of the types of lamps, size, wattage, all of that good stuff is is in tiny plants to help guide you how to maintain some of those collections
0: indoors. And in between innings, ladies and gentlemen, she'll be in the stands selling Cracker Jack. So, <laughs> you know, she's gotta keep moving this lady. Um, one thing that struck me about that photo is I did not look at it as informational. I thought now we're kind of creating art, for lack of a better yes. word, because the yes. the light itself is very sinuous and very modernistic, and it's hanging down over a tiny plant. So now you're not just bringing tiny plants into your home, you're and you're not bringing the outdoors into your home, but it is... It would be such a peaceful and beautiful thing to come home to.
2: The cool thing about itty-bitty houseplants is that they do offer up the ability for you to get You know, much more intentional with how you plan your environment and your decor, how you decorate the kind of lights that you use. And you can move them around a lot more. Right. So if you've got a little light on a shelf where you keep your tiny plants, you can move them for a few days and move them back. That's hard to do with your big monsteras, (laughs) your big philodendrons. Right.
0: We're speaking with Leslie Halleck, the author of a brand new book that I recommend highly called Tiny Plants, Discover the Joys of Growing and Collecting Itty-Bitty Houseplants. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody that it is officially pea picking time. Peas are the first big crop we collect in most areas, and if you planted them at the right time, you should be in the middle of harvesting a great barrel of peas. If you haven't been harvesting, get your pea-picking fingers out there. Remember, snow peas and snap peas are eaten pod and all and should be picked while small for best taste and continued production. But don't go picking those pods just yet, because we'll be right back with the importance of snags and more of your snaggy phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. to yet another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. We're speaking with Leslie Halleck, the author of a brand new book that I recommend highly called Tiny Plants. Discover the joys of growing and collecting itty-bitty house plants. Now, Leslie, uh, every photo in this book makes you want to have that plant in that little pot. I both hate to do this, and I love to do this. Uh, When we have a guest on like you, demand that they name their favorite children. Yeah, I'm sorry, kid. That's the price of introduction here.
2: Okay, well, so it it changes, right? On any given day, you could ask me um, what my favorite teeny tiny plants are. I have uh, I have a, a particular attachment to lithops, living stones. Um, there is a species named lithops leslii. and of course, I'm obsessed with micro orchids. So, I, I, any of the micro orchids on any given day will will totally capture my fancy. If you hop over on my Instagram feed, you'll often see little, little tiny orchids there. But so lithops, micro orchids. But you know, if you ask me tomorrow, I, I might give you a different answer.
0: If you're just starting, whether you, whether you sure. are an experienced gardener or not, but you know as well as I do um, that there's been a tremendous swing. Uh, first of all, we've got almost twice as many outdoor gardeners than we did pre-pandemic. Which, right. is, which is wonderful. Um, but we've also got people dialing down, you know, moving out of their house into a townhouse or an apartment or something like that, and they're pretty comfortable with killing plants. So <laughs> what's, you know, I know this is a common question, but, you know, I'm a Philadelphia corner boy. So what's a good plant for somebody to start out with who has only gardened outdoors before
2: boy who has only gardened outdoors before. So if you are not going to add grow lights, right, you want to just keep it really easy. Um, open up tiny plants and look at creeping button fern. That's Mm -hmm. a great little foliage plant, uh, that will tolerate medium to lower light levels. Mm -hmm. Surprisingly can tolerate more drying than you would expect a fern to tolerate. It yeah. doesn't have to be under glass. You can grow it out on the windowsill. Um, I keep mine in a northwester exposure, and it's perfectly happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it grows in a two and a half inch pot, kind of perpetually. Um, so something <laughs> like that is really fun to try.
0: And you can't kill a fern. Okay.
2: <laughs> well, I've killed so many maidenhair ferns. It's not even, the carnage on that plant <laughs> is, you know, is a bit obscene. So, you know, they, they have to be under glass at my house, but yeah. So, so t- realize that teeny tiny plants, um, while growing in a tiny soil volume and will take a smaller amount of water, some might have to be watered a little more frequently, some might not. You just have to get to know the species. And that's why I wrote the book the way that I did with profiles so that you could get to learn a little bit more about each species and related species because the more you know about the plant and how it grows naturally in its, its natural environment, the better you can learn how to adapt to taking care of it inside as a beginning indoor gardener.
0: But I think that picture, that picture of the single LED hanging Mm -hmm. down over the plant really changed my perspective. I would urge you to create areas like that. It's not just a plant on a desk. You've got a white wall and maybe um, a table or something over there, you know, a side table. And each plant has its own little light. And if you got enough room, okay, so over here we travel to the Himalayas, where you wouldn't expect to see a lot of plants. Over here is Southern Florida. You know, here is this. Um, the possibilities of design, once you get good at this, are almost endless. And you wouldn't have that yes. ugly painting on the wall anymore. <laughs>
2: Yes, I um, I am a fan of building wall shelves, lighted wall shelves for plants. I have some in my kitchen. You can see that picture in gardening under lights. Some of the great new plant LED bars that are for mounting under counters or under mm-hmm. bookshelves look really nice. I have some. You know, there's a picture in tiny plants of some shelves I have like that in my dining room mm-hmm. that have a really lovely LED bars on them that I keep. Uh, some of my tiny plants in really pretty glass containers. They're mm-hmm. a lovely complement to my dining room. What a shock. You can create really pretty vignettes all around your living space, no matter how small it is. You don't need a lot of space. Grow lights really help you expand all of your growing areas. And for tiny plants, the great thing is you can use some of the more stylish, lower wattage LEDs. Um, versus the bigger HID rigs or larger right. panels that you might that go in the garage garden or <laughs> that go in the basement or your grow room, which I have. I have a fully decked out garage garden. Always freaks my neighbors out. You know, I'm in Texas, so they always, you know, think something, something suspicious is going on. <laughs> but, you know, it's just What's tomatoes and beans. What's that smell from Leslie's garage? Yeah, I know. I know. So
0: you just added and, you know, we got to go. I would like to have you on for like two hours. Uh, but you just added something to my repertoire uh, when people say they don't have any room for plants. Do you have room for shelves? Do you have open yes. walls? I mean, yes. let's let's get started. Instead of using exactly what you have, let's kind of do a little bit of redecoration, put up shelves. And if you kill all the plants, you can put your uh, knickknacks or Spider-Man action figures up there.
2: Yeah, grow vertical. That's the cool thing about tiny plants is that you know it's space flexible. You can tuck them in anywhere you've got light, and anywhere you could add a small grow light, be it a spotlight or a grow bar under a counter, you can have a whole garden there. And as a plant addict myself, a a a collecting nerd, I want to collect. As many cool species as I can find. And growing tiny affords me the ability to do that. Once I've packed all my windows with all my big houseplants and I've run out of space for them, Mm -hmm. you have a lot of flexibility with tiny houseplants.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, we now have to say goodbye because we've run out of time for this segment to the only woman I've ever met who has a garage garden um we could talk to you for hours um write a new write another book real fast okay so we can have you back on Leslie Halleck is the author of tiny plants discover the joys of growing and collecting itty bitty house plants I gotta read this down here on the side it is new from cool springs press oh one more thing before we let you go um, do you have a website that people uh, can go to and learn more about you redoing all of New York with just one can <laughs> of paint and some ping pong balls? You know.
2: <laughs> yes, you can visit my website, LeslieHalleck.com. All of my books are there. You can read my bio, uh, find other places to buy my books if you want to, su- to support your local bookshop or buy online. So LeslieHalleck.com. All the info you need to know.
0: Um, Leslie, you've been delightful. Thank you so much for being on You Bet Your Garden.
2: Oh, thanks so much for having me on. And I could talk for hours,
0: too. So hopefully we'll get to chat again one day. Absolutely. All right. You take care. Thanks again. All right. It is time for a rather unusual question of the week. Back when I was writing stories for Green Prints and editorials and Organic Gardening Magazine, a lot of times I would write a story, and we haven't done a story on the show in years. So here we go, and it's called In Praise of Snags snags or dead trees left standing, which is the way of the world in the woods, but not the typical way in the American landscape where imitations of Disney World plant sculptures are the desired ideal. Until the homeowner finds out how much work it's going to be to maintain a topiary of Uncle Scrooge. When most people have trees taken down, they have three options. Cut the tree down and have the stump pulled which is the most expensive option, but the only one that allows immediate replanting in that same area. Or, have the tree cut down and have the top of the stump ground down, which is less expensive, but really annoying when the homeowner realizes they can't plant anything in that same space because there's a giant wooden plug in the ground. Or, you can have the tree cut down most of the way, but leave a 6 to 10 foot snag standing, which is the cheapest option and the best for wildlife. A couple of 10 years ago, I had a bunch of trees taken down, including a magnificent double-trunked ash that had fallen prey to the dreaded emerald ash borer, an invasive non-native insect that is sending ash trees the way of the American elm and chestnut. I instructed the tree crew to leave each tree a snag, and they insisted they knew what that meant. But at the end of the day, I went out to see that the double-trunked ash was cut down to only about half its original size, which meant it was still taller than the house. The crew chief and owner of the company didn't look so good, but he said they'd be back to finish up. Next day, I get a call from his wife, who's crying so much she can barely speak, He wasn't just tired, he had just learned that his lack of energy was because he had cancer. She wanted to try to make good on the trees, uh, but I could guess that their business was already underwater, so I just ate it, figuring I would have the rest of the work done later on. I try to be a nice guy at least once a year so I don't forget what it feels like. Well, it's long past later on, and I am happy with my two tall snags, especially the ash, which is riddled with woodpecker holes high up in the trunk. We have also seen a tiny owl living in a hole a little closer to the ground, and several really mysterious holes near the bottom of the tree, which we don't want to mess with. So there it stands, an obvious home for lots of wildlife, as are the other snags. But an experience I had back in May topped them all. It was during an early heat wave, so I got up at 6 a.m. to go out and water and check on things. The day before had been hot and dry, but at 6 a.m. it was delightful, a pleasure to be outside, as it would not be by later that day. Some water watering plants and generally puttering around in the cool, dry air. When I hear a weird sound, I've been there 35 years, first time I've heard this sound. You know how evil squirrels love to taunt you with their high-pitched chuckling from the trees? This sound was similar but much deeper in tone. It was definitely coming from the trees but almost sounded more like a bullfrog than an evil squirrel. I was able to isolate the sound to the top of one arm of the double-trunked X ash but I couldn't see anything. Boom, then something popped up at the very top, an area that was riddled with woodpecker nest holes a few feet down. It went back in, popped up again, came back out of the hole at the top slowly over and over again, each time revealing a little more of itself. Then I saw what I felt had to be a duck bill. I thought I tore a duck, I mumbled in my best Tweety Pie voice. Then, as if it was on a hidden riser, it moved upwards until I could see its entire body. I did, I did, I did see a duck. It sat there for a moment and then took off a duck of many colors, gliding peacefully low through the woods across the road. Was this a poor mallard that didn't make it home last night and took refuge in what had obviously become the neighborhood's friendly Motel 6? To find out, I looked at a great article from Cornell listing the 20 most common ducks in Pennsylvania with loads of great photos. I'm going over it. No, that's not it. No, that's not it either, until I got to number 10, the wood duck. How much wood would a wood duck duck if a wood duck could duck wood? Plenty, it turns out. And I quote, unlike most waterfowl, wood ducks perch and nest in trees and are comfortable flying low through the woods. Their broad tails are short, broad wings help them make them maneuverable. They even call them cavity nesters. Is there a duck nest in the top of my already favorite snag? Will I see little wood ducklings at some point? Another Cornell article tells me that the incubation period for the eggs is 28 to 37 days, and there may be two broods a year. The chicks emerge, quote, fully dressed, and jump out of the tree and fly one day after hatching. Yikes! I'd like to see that. I guess I'd better keep getting up early. A longer version of this story will appear in the next issue of Green Prints, the Weeders Digest, a great magazine about the joys of gardening that's been going strong for more than 30 years. Special thanks to longtime editor, Pat Stone, for allowing me to run this condensed version in advance of its appearance in Green Prince, as long as I said the name Green Prints more than five times. You'll find lots more information at, wait a minute, that's only three or four, um, Greenprints.com, green prints, green prints, green prints. Well, that sure was some interesting information about snagging more wildlife to watch now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the Question of the Week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over at your leisure or your leisure, just click the link for the Question of the Week at our website, which is still and will forever be YouBetYourGarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always, always find the latest Question of the Week where? at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to snap my peas if I don't get out of the studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore. At ybyg at wlvt.org. Please include your location. You'll find all of this contact information at our website, youbetyourgarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to all the questions you were going to ask me. Audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, and our podcast. Oi! You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when a certain Victor Frankenstein pulled the wrong lever. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Tavia Minnick is our profound producer of Priceless Production. The lovely Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our director of directing direction is the famously harassed and harried Javier Diaz. Andy Cummins is still taking our temperature at the door deuce of all trades, Zach Tatak insists that that is his natural hair and not the result of an electrical mishap. Our beloved CEO Tim Fallon has been composting for a month and is already sending out bragging photos of his compost thermometer. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and my compost thermometer always reads the same as my magic eight ball. Ask again later. And I'll do just that before I see you all again next week. Support comes from Hot Bin Composters. Hot Bin Composters are designed to be compact, odor-free, and easy to use. With simple instructions and everything that's needed, Hot Bin Composters can help anyone get started with composting. More information is available at hotbincomposting-us.com. Are you waking up? to a garden filled with eaten plants? I'm Mike McGrath. And on the next You Bet Your Garden, we'll help you figure out what it is and how to get rid of it, especially if it's slugs or teeny tiny caterpillars. Plus your fabulous phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden.